Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I am married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then and you're re- Reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? Oh, yes. Hey, happy Memorial Day week for most of you because what I know to be true is that you don't necessarily listen live to the show. You download it and listen to it whenever you can. And you know what? I'm okay with that. Both my guests and I want you to listen to it when you can most focus on what is going on. Because this is your life, and you have got to work on the sexual addiction or on your partnership, or if you're a partner of a sex addict, you've got to work on yourself. You've got to give this, first and foremost, the most important attention ever. So focus up. Pay attention. And, you know, I always say start a journal. Take some notes. Write down who some of the guests are. Uh, You know, identify where their workshops are, what their books are. What are they doing? Because they may be the experts that are going to help you on this journey. And what I know to be true is I am certainly here for you. There is no doubt about it. Even on Memorial Day as we speak. So if you're a veteran... If you're married to a veteran, uh, and that goes either way, the partner could be the veteran or the sex addict could be the veteran. Uh, I, I want to say thank you for everything you've done for us. I, I think you can tell that I care about you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad it seemed, if you're listening to this show, you want to get help. And I care about you. And So certainly if you have done something like enlisted in the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, National Guard, um, if you're in right now, if you're out, I just want to say thank you uh, for taking care of us and for giving 
service to the best of your ability. And, you know, what I do know, you've heard me say this kind of stuff before, um, what I know to be true, so here we go, what I know to be true is that professionals who have stressful jobs, pastors, police, servicemen, are more prone to medicate with sex, drugs, or alcohol. And in part, it's because we haven't opened up enough community resources to make you not feel stigmatized for the addiction that you're facing or for the person that you're protecting because he or she has an addiction. Now, tonight I'm going to be interviewing a woman who has a very important story. Uh, She's a professional and contacted me and, and wanted to share her story because she has made it her mission to help others in any way possible, whether that's through public awareness, education, lectures, support groups, any of the above. She's actually considering writing a book, and she wanted to talk about what's going on in her life, as well as she wanted to pick my brain and find out what I could tell her about developing trust with somebody who has betrayed you. So if you are an addict and you're listening to this show, this is where I want you to use empathy. I want you to be able to figure out that what has happened to your partner is so significant, is so devastating, that it has actually caused what we call an existential um, need for making sense of what happened. You know, this rocks uh, a partner to the core when they realize that they have been in love with a sex addict. And historically, when we talk to partners, we viewed them in terms of a co-addict model, a codependency model. And here's the slippery slope. Okay, now this is historically. This is not now. First of all, if you're a partner listening to the show, I want you to know in no way are you to blame for the sex addict's difficulties. Yes, it does take two to have marital problems, but your um, spouse's choice, option, compulsion, whatever, to pursue sexual addiction was truly his or her choice. Here's the problem, though. It it stops being a choice because it becomes a compulsion. And so I have all sorts of empathy for any addict who is in in the throes of compulsion and addiction. However, for the partner, you know, what they tried to do historically back in the 80s is that they said, you know, if you're really um, hooking up, if you if you have married a man or a woman that's betrayed you, who has a sexual addiction, there must be something that you're doing that's attracting this energy to you. Therefore, 
you got to work on your side of the street and your sex addict needs to work on his. Now what we know to be true is that what we were doing back then was applying um, a 12-step kind of model to the partner of a sex addict, and that just isn't true. I mean, after interviewing and interviewing and interviewing hundreds and thousands of partners, most of them did not even begin to have an idea of what was going on. They absolutely thought they had a fairly good marriage. When it wasn't fairly good, they, they you know, kind of knocked it up to, well, you know, no marriage is perfect and we're going to have problems and maybe the sex has stopped or maybe the sex is um, out of control. Uh, maybe I don't like him right now because he's yelling at the kids. Maybe his isolation is because he's not happy. You know, we all make excuses for our spouses to some degree. You know, whenever my husband does something that I don't like, I get to make a choice as to whether I focus on that and get more mad or whether I focus on all of his good qualities. And what I believe is that what you appreciate appreciates. And that means that you don't want to solely focus on um, the faults in your partnership. Now, fast forward to being married to a sex addict who has now come out and shared with you he's a sex addict or she, but we're going to say he. Maybe you discovered this. You know, maybe you found out. Maybe he didn't disclose. You found out and he had to disclose. Maybe you uh, found out and you read books and you found out you have options if you're going to stay in this marriage. Maybe that's a polygraph test. Going to COSA, going to Essanon, going to a recovery coach from APSATS, um, you know, finding a certified clinical partner specialist or a coaching specialist who can help you get healthy, help you with self-care, help you through this trauma, the panic, the anxiety that more than likely has impacted you to some degree. All right, so there are choices that you have if you're a partner of a sex addict, but you are by no means at fault for his or her choices. Um, Did you contribute to some of the problems in the marriage? Well, sure you did, but not to the sexual addiction. I rarely meet somebody who can say to me, Carol, I absolutely contributed. Um, I saw the wacky numbers on on the phone, but I chose not to say anything. I didn't want to know. I mean, I rarely meet somebody like that. Instead, they're just the opposite. They're going to get down to the bottom of, why is my spouse um, calling 800 numbers? Why is my spouse getting texts from women saying, when are you coming over? Why is my spouse going to bathhouses? What is going on? And again, tonight I'm going to be interviewing one of those spouses who wants to rebuild trust. I mean, she's actually, she said, I want to pick your brains, and I want very much to ask you how I can rebuild this relationship. 
and what's the best thing I can do to trust my spouse, and what can I do to restore our relationship? You know, kind of the normal questions that anybody has if they're thinking about staying with the, uh, with the person that betrayed them. And, you know, she's got the kind of questions that I think anybody can relate to. She's afraid that she may be denying some of her feelings, and she wants to know what are the true, genuine feelings that can be buried deep inside. So I'm looking forward to interviewing her, and I'm so looking forward to having you send me questions and Uh, That would be to Carol at carolthecoach.com. And I want to tell you that you can go to my website, sexhelpwithcarolthecoach.com, or my YouTube videos, Sex Help with Carol the Coach. And when you do, you'll get a lot of good information about how to manage this horrible situation, whether you're a sex addict or a partner. You'll obviously get to see me and see, you know, what I can teach you about the three circles, what I can talk to you about when it comes to your own fears, the five fears of intimacy, Um, you know, how do you trust your head, heart, and gut, What are the five primary feelings that drives this condition and how can you get healthy? Um, What is trauma and how in the world do you learn how to regulate it when you feel like your heart is going to beat out of your chest, whether you're the addict and you think your wife is going to leave you or you're the partner and you, you don't think you can trust anybody or anything again ever in your life? And then lastly... What I'm going to ask you to do, you know, I always ask you all to do things for me, too. Sometimes I have surveys that I'd like for you to participate in because we need more research. Sometimes I have um, I have people that I want you to listen to, podcasts that are really good. And this today I have a book called Sexual Addiction, Wisdom from the Masters. You can go to my website and order a hard copy. You can go to my website and order it through Amazon, the ebook. You can go to Amazon directly, but it is Sexual Addiction Wisdom from the Masters. And in it, I have 12 chapters that talks to experts in the field, starting with Dr. Patrick Carnes. His chapter is called Sex Addiction Turning Suffering into Meaning. Well, that was really helpful. And then my chapter on defense mechanisms, you know, what happens, how do people how do people rationalize what they're doing? And then I have Ken Adams talking about sex addicts and mother enmeshment issues. You know, we find that there is a I wouldn't say a large population, but certainly a percentage of sex addicts that really um, have overtly enmeshed relationships with their mothers. And so what do you do about that? Because that's not an easy thing to admit to when you've got an enmeshment with your mother. Chapter 4 is on 
Dr. Claudia Black, probably one of the most um, renowned experts in the field of adult children of alcoholic, uh, alcoholics. And now what she's doing, she is, in actuality, she is working with partners of sex addicts, and she's written two very good books. And she works at the Meadows, and she's just an amazing uh, expert in the field of how partners can get healthy. So if you would go to my website, buy the book, I'll autograph it and send it to you. And if you um, want to get the ebook, I can't autograph that for you, but I definitely would love you to do this, and here's why. I've spent hundreds and hundreds of dollars on this book, but I am donating everything to the American Federation of Sexual Addiction Research and Addiction Research, AFAR, capital A, capital F, capital A, capital R. And so all proceeds go to them, and we've got to have more information on addiction. So that's what I'm doing, and I'm going to ask you to do that too. Everybody can help, I promise you that. All right, so I said I was going to be interviewing a woman who has really experienced it all and made it her mission to want to help other people. So I am so pleased to be introducing her to our show. Uh, She's got a wealth of information, and, and so I wanted to thank you so much. I don't know if you had a pen name, if you have a pseudonym, um, or if you want me to call you by your first name. Hi, you can call me Maggie. Thank you, Maggie. Okay, so Maggie, you have quite a story. And I was wondering if you'd be <laughs> willing to share that with our listening audience tonight. I would love to. Okay, tell me a little bit about you and and your love affair with the sex addict. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, This is a great opportunity for me, and I know a lot of listeners, hopefully. Um, I met my now husband a little over a year ago. Uh, We hit it off quickly. We're both older. This is not our first marriage. So it was kind of like, hey, it's going fast, but our age, we kind of know what we want and more so maybe what we don't want. And why wait? So we did kind of go fast. And um, I discovered a little bit early on that there was something a little bit different about him, although I loved everything about him. There was something slightly different that I couldn't quite put my finger on. Well, in talking to him and later on after, you know, well, it wasn't very easy, but he did admit to me that he had a problem with sex and porn addiction. And so he broke down, cried, and begged me not to walk out on him and that he would get help. And so I thought what a shallow person I would be if I if I didn't give this man a chance. And if I truly wanted this, why not give him a chance to prove to me that he could change? And um, so I did that. And uh, he started going to meetings and so forth, counseling. I just kind of didn't feel he was totally in into it and totally um, genuine about recovery. And so we went ahead, we ended up getting engaged, and I did marry him. Um, and so, Maggie, can I ask kind of, right now, yeah, sure. you're saying that 
even though he was saying some of the right things, your gut told you, hmm, I don't think he's doing recovery in a way that's going to get him where he needs to be. That's correct. Yes. Okay, so and I'm pointing out to my listening audience that Maggie had an incredible <laughs> gut feeling. Her instincts and her intuition was giving her a clue, and she went ahead and gave the addict the benefit of the doubt because she wanted you wanted good things for him, correct? I did, and I cared about this man, and I replayed that sound in my head when we were on the phone, and he broke down and cried and said, don't give up on me. I I couldn't get that out of my head and feel comfortable with myself if I had at the time, you know. So um, went went forth with our plans, engagement, wonderful, you know, engagement trip, honeymoon trip, beautiful wedding. And I, I was, there were moments when I was totally, totally happy with this man. And I, but it was when I could be myself. I'm looking back now. And, um, but I never allowed myself to be totally, totally at ease because I had this nagging feeling. Well, not too, too long ago, we finally really, really had a deep discussion. And he admitted to me, no, Angie, I never really had stopped. Um, and uh, so... I, you know, I I was taken aback. I was very, um, very hurt. I had given him all the chances that he need. And um, first name is Margaret, by the way, but I'll go by Maggie still. Uh, And then I, I got angry. I got bitter and I acted out a lot. He swore to go back to treatment and recovery and start over this time maybe with a whole nother um, reason, a whole nother motivation, more insight. And he's doing that now. And I am seeing signs that it's a little different this time. I think he's more um, focused on his recovery, uh, more willing to admit what he did to me, um, and maybe realizing that what he came so close to losing is worth keeping Perhaps he didn't have quite all of those reasons and that motivation before. And so he's currently working now at it. And I'm, I think it's different this time, but it's been very tumultuous for us both, very tumultuous. And, and I've learned a real lot. Hindsight is twenty twenty, And, I, you know, I look back and I see lots of signs of things I should have done that I didn't do and vice versa and things I should have done differently. And and I've I've okay. learned a lot and yeah. Because um, I just want to get a timeline. You said you probably mm-hmm. got together and it went too fast too soon. So how mm-hmm. long from the time that you met him and started dating him to the time that you were engaged? We met the very beginning of October and we were engaged that following spring in May. Okay. So that would be about five, six, seven, about eight eight or nine months that you were together and then you Mm -hmm. decided to get engaged. And, you know, you pointed out to our listening audience that you were older. You both had been married, correct? And And so you probably had a little bit more wisdom than the average. However, can I just share with my listening audience, Mm -hmm. this is, Carol's rule of thumb, K 
care of a coach says you never want to get engaged unless you've spent all four seasons with somebody. I don't know what it is about that magic number, but oftentimes you can really get a sense for what the issues are, what the conflict is, whatever. So then you got engaged. You got engaged in about May. And then at what point did he say, you know, Maggie, I just don't think, I don't believe that I'm really in good recovery? He never, well, he never came out and said it to me. It was after lots of asking and probing and begging and stomping my feet and badgering that I got him to finally admit to me probably in hmm, March, April, May, uh, June, May, something like um, April, no, March, March of this year that he had never really... Mhm. A little less than a year, maybe about nine more months after that, through badgering and probing, and he mm-hmm. he admitted, yes, I have a problem. And so, th- at what point did he go into treatment? So, well, like I said, in, initially, when I confronted him, we met in early October. I confronted him that following February. Started getting treatment. I had a nagging feeling it wasn't working well, but we got engaged in May. Gave him the benefit of the doubt. We got married in September of last year, but I still was never comfortable. This year, in March, I really started, again, probing him. And this year in March is when he admitted that he still had an issue and had never really stopped and then he instantly, without me saying anything, went back and started again. And that's where we are now. And I'm sorry, you said started again. Started what? Um, counseling. He got, this time though, he is meeting with um, a sponsor, which he did not do before. He's going back to CR. Um He's doing assignments with his, um, with his sponsor, things that he never did before. And I'm just seeing a lot of tolerance on his part with a lot of the things that I've been doing that I always thought he deserved. But I did give him a lot of grief and a lot of um, difficulty. And, you know, I know I'm not making excuses at all, but I was extremely difficult, if not impossible. And he he kept putting up with that and kept on and kept on and never really – you know, to beat with professing the fact that he still cared and he loved me. And this time he really, really realizes it. And now he's in it for the long haul. And I'm thinking, okay, does he deserve this second quote unquote chance? Um, Maybe because this is the first time that I think he's genuinely trying when I never thought so before. So is it okay to do this? Does he deserve this? Um, it's different this time, so maybe it is indeed that. Maybe it is different. Um, I've had issues myself in the past with something totally different, and I think if someone would have walked out on me or not given me a chance when I was truly was trying, I would have thought it shallow and weak, ignorant of them. Um, so I tried to do the same. Now, like I'm saying, now we're married, maybe, yeah. 
You know, I want to say to you, Mm -hmm. obviously you have been working really hard at kind of observing him from afar and 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 you're exactly right when you say that this time it seems different. I mean, he seems to be working a program. He seems to be utilizing yes. other people. He's doing his homework. <laughs> and again, for my yes. listening audience, if you're a partner and you're trying to figure out, is my husband doing what he needs to do to stay safe and to not participate in sexually addictive behavior, i.e., and then keeping me safe, the ten mm-hmm. things that a, that an addict needs to do, and this is a formula that I really feel works. I know it's not for everybody, but here's what I profess. I say mm-hmm. they need to go to meetings, they need to have a sponsor, they need to read the green book or the white book, they need to work the 12 steps, and they need to make the calls to other guys in the fellowship. Then the next five things they need to do, get with a certified sexual addictions therapist. They need to be in a sex addicts group, for a therapy group. They need to do mm-hmm. meditation and or prayer. They need to read other recovery materials besides the Green Book. And then they need to have filters on their phone. Maybe they need to do polygraph tests. Maybe they need covenant eyes. But they need those things that will help to hold them accountable. So if you don't mind, Maggie, I'd I'd like to ask you, um, Mm -hmm. of those ten things, how many do you think he's actively doing today? Is he going to meetings? He is. Okay, and you said he has a sponsor. He does. Is he meeting with the sponsor regularly or talking with him regularly? He meets with him regularly, and he has um, exercises, homework, so to speak, that he does with him. Perfect. Is he working the 12 steps, which also has a lot of homework in it? Yes. Um, well, he's he's going to CR. Um, it is considered a 12-step program, not quite the same as some 12-step programs, but he does go regularly to okay, CR. Okay, what's it again? Um, celebrate Recovery. Okay, Celebrate Recovery. And here's what I know to be true. If your husband has a significant, serious problem, Celebrate Recovery is a fabulous program, but it's recovery light. It is not mm-hmm. going to deal with the deep issues. So I don't know what area you live in, but if he can get himself to regular sexaholic anonymous meetings or sex addict anonymous meetings, he's going to get a much, much, much bigger bang for his buck. There there are sex, um, a men's sex addiction group that also meets after his Celebrate Recovery um, meeting. Yes, yes, he does do that. He does. Now, is he talking to people in the fellowship? Is he calling them? Are they getting advice from him? Is he getting advice from them? Are they supporting each other? I be- yes, I have every reason to believe that they are, and I do know for a fact that he meets with his sponsor regularly and does um, work with him. Okay, so other than, 
at first it was it worried me just a little bit because again I love Celebrate Recovery and it is an amazing group but it is not the group for true sex that's addicts. That's what I've been told. Yes, that's what yeah. I've been told. Yeah. So as if well. this meeting was SAA or SA, that's mm-hmm. a great group. And if he's meeting afterwards with a very specialized group of men that have this problem, then good for him. Yes. Now let's look at the yes. other five. Um, okay. You said he went into treatment. Did he end up going into a hospital, a residential treatment center, or or was he working with a counselor? A counselor type thing. Well, he was doing counseling in the beginning. Um, I went with to him with him to just a few meetings back then. Now that he's starting over, he has not gone to inpatient treatment. There are they are very few and far between. However, he does want to go back to counseling if we can afford it with a specialist and would like me to go with him. And is also, you know, he wants me to go with him to CR and he wants me to be involved. Perfect. Okay. So then I want him, if at all possible, to go to a professional who specializes in sex addiction and they either need to have their certified sexual addiction therapy designation, that's a CSAT, or they need mm-hmm. to have their sexual addiction um, certification through SASH, which is the Sexual Advancement of Sexual Health. Or, you mm-hmm. know, there are other organizations, but they really need to have been certified as a sex addictions therapist. Or, or again, yes. he won't be the best paying for his buck. And does mm-hmm. he have insurance? He does. Okay, so you said something about not being able to afford it, but he does have insurance. He does. Okay, good enough. All right, now, um, so is he in any kind of a sex addicts therapy group? Well, you know, like I said, he meets with a group of men who are specifically there for sexual addiction, and he meets with them on the same night, Celebrate Recovery. All righty. Well, that sounds like a great fellowship, but that's not a sex addicts therapy group. And there may be one available to him in the area or not. Let me go to the next question. Does he okay. pray or meditate? He does. He does every night. Very good. And then does he read other recovery materials or and or the Bible? Yes. Okay. Both. He reads a lot. He has a lot of material. Mm-hmm. And then last but not least, does he have filters on his phone? Does he have covenant eyes? Or do you ever polygraph him? I have not polygraphed him. We have talked about it. He has agreed to do it. And um, so that was something we were thinking about doing. Um, Covenant Eyes, he's agreeing to that as well. He did in the past. It's just a little difficult with the type of work he does. We will have to get rid of work-based apps and make sure they all go through Covenant Eyes. But he's willing to do that as well. Wow. Well, you know, he seems very, very motivated. I mean, he's doing at least seven out of the ten. And fairness to him, you know, you find a certified sexual addictions therapist by going to sexhelp.com and putting in your zip code. So 
it may be that he'd get a bigger bang for his buck by going to somebody who's really certified in this, but it sounds like he's really, really working. I think I do. I I think so, Carol. I know that the desire is there. Um, I was just very, very reluctant to even give him any kind of um, benefit of the doubt or, or anything at all because he was saying and doing, so to speak, a lot of the same things that he was before. But it is different this time. And I have to tell you that I have given him so many ultimatums, so many, you know, uh, choices and scenarios and chances, um, and he sticks it out, you know, and he continues to tolerate me and my badgering and my questioning and my doubts, and he he doesn't really waver. And so I guess until proven otherwise, I have to believe that he's sincere, you know, this time. Um, And, you know, like he told me, I said, well, why could you never do it before you were in other relationships? He said, well, first of all, they never approached him. (laughs) They never knew. He said, and secondly, I never really had a reason like I do now, you know, so – before, I would have told you, no way, no way, no way will I give this man a chance or believe in him ever, 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 and he deserves nothing, nothing. But, you know, I want this. I want this, and I've found out that when I'm not thinking I'm going to stay or try or work or let myself be happy with him, that's when I'm most unhappy And I tend to think if I have any insight at all into my own self, it's like, well, wait a minute, Maggie, what's making you really unhappy? It's you thinking I will never let him try or we will never have a future together. And that thought saddens me more so than the thought that, hey, I'm hurt and I'm bitter, but let me try and let me picture that we could possibly have our future together like we want that instantly changes my whole demeanor. And so I have to recognize that that must mean something. Well, you're exactly on target there. And for a partner, you have to really work on self-care while you're watching him um, and, and, and trying to assess, is he doing things that are making you feel comfortable? Because here's what I know to be true. It used to be that we would tell partners things like, oh, you worry about your side of the street and let him manage his own recovery. But we don't do that anymore because what we know is threefold. First, this is your coupleship, and you have every right to have a say in what you believe the two of you need to get healthy. And so if you want to say, honey, it doesn't seem like you're going to enough meetings, or if you want to say, honey, doesn't look like you're doing your homework. You have every right to say that. This is your life, too. Two, yes. what we really know to be true is that you do have to take extra special care of yourself because this is so traumatic. This is so hard on you psychologically, spiritually, physically, that, you know, you've just been through a, a war with trust. Yes. And now you've got to figure out, what am I going to do to feel better? And then mm-hmm. thirdly, we know that it's constant teeter-totter as to can I trust him or can I not trust him? And certainly your questions that you sent me 
for instance, you said, what is the best thing I can do to trust my spouse? Tell me a little bit about your feelings. What is going on, Maggie, when when you want to trust them, when you do trust them, and when you don't trust them? When, when, okay, I always want to trust him, but the problem is I wasn't letting myself because I didn't think he was worthy and I didn't think I could. And I think one of the biggest things about that was my fear of being hurt again. And I think that's probably the reason we all have an issue with trust. We don't want to go through that hurt. So, but... When I'm angry and I'm bitter and this is not going to work there, he and he doesn't deserve my trust and I won't do it, I'm miserable. But if I, if I step back and say, look at what he's doing, how do you know you can't? What about that future you planned? What about everything that used to make you laugh together with him? Maybe you can have that back, but you've got to do your part too. Instantly I feel better. I just the hope that I could have it again. Okay, so what I hear you saying is that there's a real knowing part of you that thinks he is worth the investment and that if you focus on some of the positive but keep your eyes wide open, you may be able to manage this thing together. Is that right? That's that's exactly right. That's exactly right. I'm my own enemy right now more than, than he is. I'm, you know, I go back and forth and some days I tell myself, you know, I'll be doggone if I'm going to let this man ever get away with having done this to me and I'll punish him forever. He will never have me and I'll leave him. But then I'm miserable because that's not really what I want. And that's not what I want to end up happening. I can't go through, you know, much. I can't do all of this again. It's got to work now. This is it. But the prospect of me saying, nope, 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 never, ever, ever, makes me really sad. It's not really what I want. So I'm willing to give it this one legitimate try. Now that we're married and it's a little different and there's been more discussed and more out there and we've been through so much more, this way is different. And this is the one way we haven't tried yet. And if this doesn't prove to be fruitful, then I can turn back and say, you know, I'll never beat myself up over it. But if I if I didn't do it now, I would. I would. I would not think I had done everything I, I should have done because I'm doing it for me too. And it's not to just say to give him a chance, him a chance. It's to give myself a chance at some happiness because for once, I'm really, really wanting to try at a relationship Ironically, it's been the hardest one ever. I've never had issues like this ever. But I never valued relationships or marriages before, and that was a huge fault of mine. So for once in my life, I am determined, you know, relationships are worth working at. They don't come a dime a dozen. They're meant to be. And for once in my life, I need to act my age and say, wait a minute, you don't stomp your foot and get a divorce because things aren't going your way, you know, you little brat. <laughs> so, well, I, you know, I and said, I don't know about yeah. that, but here's what I do know. You know, you one of the questions you asked is what is the best thing we can do as a couple to restore our relationship? And clearly, after you've been traumatized and you haven't trusted and, and, you know, he's betrayed you, 
both in finding out about the sexual addiction and then after he said he was clean but he really wasn't, it's Mm -hmm. normal, natural, and necessary not to trust. But what I always encourage couples that want to work this thing out, I say, would you do me a favor and would you both commit to one day a week where you don't talk at all about the sexual addiction or the recovery process or the pain and betrayal? Will you Mm -hmm. practice having one normal day where nothing is ever said? Now, if you looked at your relationship because you feel like he's been in good recovery for how long? Oh, it's only been a few months now, um, Carol, probably since more. Yeah, since early March, I would say. Okay, so since early March. So we're looking at most of March, April, and now May. So let's just say two and a mm-hmm. half months. So ten yes. weeks. How many days would you say, well, let's look at the last week. Did okay. you have one day where you didn't talk about the sexual addiction or anything that had to do with it? Very rarely. Um, ironically, yeah, you're not alone. Did. Most couples can't. <laughs> we, don't worry we about that. You are evening. not alone. We did this evening. In fact, we were we were saying how important it was to just talk again and be ourselves again and happy again. And we started talking about things we used to do and we both just couldn't help but smile. And it was so, it felt great. Okay. Great, great, great. One of the things that I'm very pleased about is that you two are really wanting to make this work. That is very apparent. The other thing is I would like for you and your husband to commit to one day a week. Maybe you say every Sunday. Maybe you say, you know, let's try it for tomorrow. But to have absolutely a recovery-free day in that you don't talk about anything that has to do with the sexual addiction. And then I want you to build on that by at least doing one thing that promotes closeness. You know, maybe that's a walk around the neighborhood. Maybe that's a movie and eating popcorn on the couch. Maybe that's Mm -hmm. pray together. Maybe you end up going to a Bible study together. Maybe you actually go to exercise class together. You do something that resumes normal because you know what? Maggie, your life will never be the way it was. It won't. It will never be that way again. But you can create a new normal. Yes. that That's exceptionally good advice because I know the few times we have done, tried that, it, it was so therapeutic. It was so, so healthy, you know, and... Yeah, I mean, that that's just excellent advice for any couple, whether they're having an issue or not. It's healthy, you know? Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, anybody can follow <laughs> that advice about developing closeness because, let's face it, that is what has happened. Not only has it set you up to not necessarily trust, but and, and this is not to put any pressure on you, but men need to be admired and appreciated. And when they have betrayed you, it is very hard 
to find an ounce of you that wants to appreciate and validate them out loud for two reasons. One, because you're still mad at them. And two, because you don't know if you can believe that it's true. So you don't want to be duped again by saying, honey, I'm so so glad that you are working so hard on right. cleaning the car or, you know, doing the lawn or being the provider mm-hmm. or, you know, putting the kids to bed or whatever it is. Because if you give them that and then they betray you again, it hurts twice as much. But it's yeah, important. Yeah, that's exactly what I was saying. Right. It's important um, to notice and appreciate the positive. Yeah, and I think because, like, with this addiction, more than most probably, there's a underlying self-esteem issue probably. And so, you know, the last thing they need if you want to work on this, is to let them feel that way about you. Not to fake anything, but if you truly do appreciate something they did, then yeah, you should you should verbalize it. They should know it. Anybody should. If they do something wrong, they should know that as well. But I think because there are self-esteem issues deep-seated in there somewhere, with most addictions, but more so this one probably, that yeah, that makes so much sense. You know, I know if I'm doing something wonderful, it even if it's not to hear the praise, to get it, it's always therapeutic and helpful, you know, and, and helps you. I think that um recovery in itself, notoriously difficult. Um, and so you can't do it alone. You can't do it without the help of others in many ways. Everything that you talked about, you know. Well, 100%. And, I, you know, you've just asked some really good questions. I know one thing that you had wanted to know is how can we reassure that we are both generally going to try? Now, when you asked that question, what exactly were you wanting to know? I think that, you know, the saying about how actions speak louder than words type of thing he can say that to me I can say to him we can even show each other with actions that may or may not be genuinely heartfelt but I think in your experience maybe you know of some examples of success stories um, where couples that did a b and c even though everyone's individualized always seem to be like a common denominator of something that you saw that was common in couples that succeeded and something that worked. You can say and do certain things, but do you really, really mean it? How could you know? What would pass the test? I know for one thing, him putting up with my constant, constant, um, you know, just mood swings and horrific behavior, you know, even though at times I feel he truly deserved it. The fact that he never wavers uh, says a lot, but, I'm wondering what you have seen in your experience or a few little things that were common. Well, you know, that's a great question, and I have to admit that most men feel so guilty and hate themselves so much for having lied, and they really don't want to be a liar. They really don't want to have the addiction, 
And so they deserve, they believe they deserve the punishment of having somebody rail on them verbally a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Now, you said, I know you indicated earlier that your behavior was um, was difficult at best. And that oh, yeah. there were times oh, yeah. you were on him 100%. And isn't it amazing that he has stuck by you railing oh, on yeah. him? Um, because it would be easier yeah. for him just to say, I'm out of here. I, I did the damage, and I'm not going to stick around and make it better. But he is You know, Carol, it's so ironic. Me. Yes, that you would admit that, because he said that exactly to me earlier this evening before your show. He said, he said, Maggie, if I didn't want this so badly, do you think I would have not just left and continued doing what you think I thought I was enjoying he says, it's, it's not what you think. He said, I've tolerated all this. I've tried all this. Granted, I always thought I tolerated much more, but not necessarily because I would have never lived with someone like I've been lately to him. He said, you know how easy it would be for me to say, I'm divorcing you. I don't need this, and I'm going to go back to freedom and doing whatever I want, which is what you seem to think I'd rather. He said, why? Why? He said, there's only one reason why, you know, and I'm thinking – yeah, because, you know, as hard as it is for me and was for me, and as much as I've changed a lot of my attitude about this, I couldn't have lived with me one day, I don't believe, in what I've done, in some of the things I've done. Not that I'm a bad person or worse or beating myself up. I thought he deserved every bit of what I was giving him much and even much more. But I need to be fair and adult and, and act my age <laughs> for once, like I told you, and look back at myself and say, my God, look at what I've been doing. And he's sticking that out. So, you know. Well, there you go. Ways. I mean, you realize that he he wants something with you. And I, here's my belief, and it's not meant to make you feel guilty at all, but my belief is that addicts oftentimes know that they need a strong partner to help them stay on the road of recovery. So I said I didn't mean mm-hmm. to make you feel it's not like you are instrumental in his recovery, and if you left him tomorrow, he couldn't stay in recovery. But I do believe that it can be very, very helpful to an addict to have somebody who is convicted, who does want the right thing for him. And I get that, again, I'm at their times that you rail on him because you have been so betrayed. Now, you mm-hmm. said to me, how do I overcome the hurt? Would you describe yeah. the hurt for me? Oh, gosh, just the hardest thing I've ever been through. You know, the, the, the saying about, um, I don't know if I'm totally correct in the way I'm repeating it, but the more passionate the romance or the more passionate the fight. And it's it's kind of like I told him, as much as I wanted our marriage, our future, our hopes, our dreams, you, us, everything, all of that happiness that I had and, what I, you know, everything that I felt so strongly with all my being, take it and flip it around, and that's how much hurt and anger I felt. It's reciprocal. You know, as much as I felt one way, that's how hurtful it was. Because if it hadn't been so good or so much what I wanted, it wouldn't have hurt so badly. So the hurt was was as bad as the good initially and how much I wanted it. So, it, you know, 
that's why it was so painful. If it wouldn't have been so important to me, it wouldn't have been as painful. And I would have walked away like I've done other times for no reason. But I want this. And I've never, ever thought I would do and, and be willing to work like I am at this, you know, um, in this situation. And the hurt for me felt like in the stomach. I, it, it just, I would cry and cry and cry and cry. I just can't explain the hurt. It, it's horrific. It's the worst aside from something involving your child, you know. Um, yeah, horrible. The worst, the worst. I think you did a nice job that. describing that hurt, being kicked in the stomach and the worst psychological pain you could ever have. And so when you say, how do I overcome the hurt, here's the formula. I, it's not easy stuff, but you have to do something called detaching with love. And that means that you notice what he's doing, you assess that consistently, you let him know if it doesn't feel right, you go with your instincts, your gut, your intuition, and then you spend extra time in self-care. So who do you have to support you right now? I I have some close friends. Um and someone that has been a sponsor to people in other types of recovery um, because of her experience of like 27 years or so. We are also good friends um, on that level. So she knows a lot about the whole other side of it. Then I have close friends that I um, work with uh, and, and, and some few family members. I just couldn't talk about this to just anyone, you know, but I do. I do have some people I can speak to and that I have. Okay, because you need a lot of support. And so here's what I would recommend because we're almost at the end of the show and I want to make sure you get the attention that you deserve. So what I would encourage you to do is to continue to talk to your friend who obviously is in other sorts of programs and and gets that detaching with love idea. I want you to Google that because it really is a way that you start removing yourself from some of the pain, but you still stay aware of what's going on. And then I would really encourage you to get involved with an APSATS. That's, again, that professional Mm -hmm. group that deal specifically with partners. They're partner sensitive. And you can do that by phone, by Skype, or in person. So go to the APSATS website, and that's A-P-S-A-T-S, and see if there isn't somebody right there in your city that can help you with that. Then the last thing, if if there isn't anybody, again, in your city, then I want you to look for you know, a recovery group that's APSATS-oriented. And so get on that site and see if you can't get a little bit of extra help. I heard you say that money's a little bit of an issue um, in terms of the amount of money you've spent on treatment, but you're absolutely worth it, and I cannot tell you it's a great investment in you. Yeah, I certainly will do that, absolutely. And then last but not least, I would go ahead and do something healthy because it sounds like the two of you are at a place where you could promote something else that's positive. Maybe that is taking that five love languages course in in your church or community. Or maybe that's um, doing a special couples retreat 
for sex addicts mm-hmm. and their partners. But do something that actually helps to bring you closer because I can tell both of you really want to work on this. So, I, you know, I thank you so much for sharing your story <laughs> and asking these questions that I know all partners have. And I don't know if you've been to my YouTube, but you might even go there. I do 10-minute sound bites of things that partners need to do to take care of them. Okay. I, I will. I, I listen to lots of your podcasts, um, as do he. And um, so that's how I first discovered you, and that's why I really was um, wanting to talk to you further. And I, I so appreciate you having me on your show. It's been very informative. Well, thank you so much, and keep me posted. Let me know how you're doing from time to time, okay? I certainly will, Carol. Thank you again, and I will do everything that you suggested, and I'm very optimistic. Thank you. Yeah, when you write that book, I'll be happy to help co-write it with you, so you just keep me posted. (laughs) I certainly will. That is something I want to do. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Have a great week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. So there I was talking with Maggie, who obviously is a partner who very much loves the man she's with. She's been betrayed twice by him, and I hope you can appreciate the things that I told her because she's obviously very smart, and yet she's been very wounded, and it's really time for her to focus on her. So, okay, guys, have a wonderful Memorial Day. I'm out of here. I actually work tomorrow. I'm sure most of you do, too. And I'm going to end the show by saying I want you to fearlessly have the courage to be yourself and especially to take care of yourself no matter where you are in the coupleship, addict or partner alike. It's always important to pay attention to your needs and to find healthy ways to meet them. Have a great week.